Welcome to the captain's table. It's a little bit different tonight. My good friend Rex has changed shape. Jimmy, it's great to be back after probably uh, four or five months having been to or partaken in the first couple. So um, it's lovely to be back. Rex is on holiday, enjoying himself. Rex is on holiday. Have a, hope the holiday's going well, Rex. And I'm well sure you've well. Well deserved. He's put some well hard deserved. yards into the captain's table, and and uh, we hope he gets well and uh, comes back in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, it's good. Hopefully. Hopefully. Maybe. But tonight I'm very excited because we've got a very special guest, John Deacon, in town after being here for many, many years. Mm-hmm. What I would call... Uh, I'm not going to throw the word legend around because that gets thrown around a lot, but it no, and, Dubai... it would, and it would be ridiculous. Actually. So, James, can I just interrupt? Because actually, um, I've known John for a long, long time, and John has always been known as a legend to me because he was always the person I spoke to many, many years ago. Yep. The advice that mm. I've been here a lot longer than you. <laughs> da, 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 and but he's always the face and the voice for me in Dubai. But this is the only the first time I've met you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> well, there's another story. Yeah, indeed. Well, welcome, John. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No, no, no. It's, it's great. You've definitely been on our list for a long time. It's been a matter of catching you and yeah. uh, getting it. But we're, we've the stars are in shape tonight, so All that's right. perfect. So, so John, welcome. And and what we want to do today is really just get an understanding about your life in Dubai how it all started, when you arrived, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, because this is what the Captain's Table is all about. Great stories, identities, and, and getting it from there. So when did you arrive to this wonderful place? Well, it's a bit of a story, really. Um, and that's what we're looking for, I guess, is stories. But yeah, right. uh, So I was, I was working um, for the Daily Express and Daily Star in Fleet Street, and... Um, in fact, I just had a huge promotion to work with a team of 10 guys on the launch of the Daily Star, first um, new newspaper then in Britain for 100 years, 1978 this was. And um, so we duly launched it. It was a load of rubbish, really. And edited by Terry Jameson, of all people, who was permanently drunk. But you could get your expenses signed off really easily by <laughs> Derek. And um, and this was before Rupert Murdoch and all this kind Murdoch of had nothing ever to do with the Daily Express. He was right. in Bouvery Street with The Sun, News of the World. Okay. And, and actually, I'm very privileged in a way to have worked in Fleet Street at that time because I was right there in the middle of the transition from hot metal newspaper publishing right. to digital and when I was there um, murder literally overnight moved everybody out of Bouvery Street to Wapping which nobody knew it was the best kept secret probably ever in the history of the world so it, it was a great time I loved working there it was amazing but my boss a guy called Mike Harvey uh, who was the ad manager of the Daily Star I got a job in Ajman of all places. Right. And we all laughed and laughed and laughed at this. And even fa- just in after, his face. After you'd got the Atlas out. After I got the Atlas out. To find out where Ajman was. Well, that's interesting. I'll come on to that in a minute. So he goes to Ajman, just disappears. And then my best mate, uh, Daily Express, Daily Star, who was really my soulmate, a guy called Mike English, um, was headhunted by the first Mike. So he disappears. And then... 
And I was quite disconsolate at this. After about three months uh, on a crackly telephone line from Ajman, <laughs> uh, centre of uh, civilization, uh, Mike number two called and said, mate, you've got to come. Take a break, take a holiday, just come for a couple of weeks. You are going to be amazed at this place. It's unbelievable. That's the point at which I got the Atlas out. <laughs> and another colleague at the time, uh, a rather doer Scotsman, a bit like me really, said, um, huh, well, I've heard of a place called Sharjah, but you know, grown men in the RAF used to turn up in Sharjah and cry. <laughs> so that wasn't a very good advertisement. But anyway, off I went to Ajman on a Gulf Air flight. Um, and it just... What year was that? 78. Yeah, September 78. That's London, when I, Bahrain, Bahrain, Dubai. Correct. On a, I think it was on a Super VC10, right. built in 1963, mm -hmm. if I remember mm -hmm. rightly. Mm -hmm. So what was the job that he kind of... So this is what happened. So the two mics were the really the superstars of Daily Express, Daily Star advertising sales. And they had been headhunted by a company called Parish Rogers International to establish a telephone directory and a yellow pages for the precursor of Etislat, which was called Emertel. Emertel was half owned by the Abu Dhabi government and half owned by cable and wireless. Anyway, it was taken over by the UAE. It was renamed Emertel, Etislat, sorry, and a company called Hawk Publishing in Ajman won the contract to right. publish Yellow Pages and uh, do a telephone directory. Okay. And all paper. Yeah, all, of course. It was 1978. Yeah. yeah. There was not even a fax machine around in Just 1978. Oh, really? Oh, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I feel so old all of a sudden. Anyway, That's all right. So it was a very uh, cool thing. Um, so I go over. Now, the owner of Hawk Publishing is a very famous Ajmani businessman called Abdullah Muhammad Murad. He was very close to the ruler and was his chief advisor or wali and had made a fortune, not through Hawk Publishing, but through United Colour Film Company. Now, United Colour Film Company had a million shops all over the Emirates, and it's where you went with your film at a year old camera. Yeah. You popped it in, you were given a receipt, and then the next day you would come back and you'd have all your prints, your 24, your yeah, 36, yeah. right. And he was also the agent for Kodak, through which he had made a huge sum yeah, of money. Sure, sure, sure. His passion was television. Television. Yeah. So he built a full-on television studio in the desert in Ajman, wow. which is now Ajman Independent Studios. It's got a broadcast license. Still there? It's still there. In those days, it was a facilities house making programming for the Egyptian, Lebanese, Syrian and Jordanian markets because there were not enough film studios or TV studios. Sure. So he comes up with this idea. He builds a stunning studio. It was two big studios, actually. Studio A and Studio C. He builds management uh, and staff housing. And he builds a hotel. Why does he build a hotel? Because the programming that he's going to make is going to be basically like historical Ar Arabic or Arabian drama programs. Yeah. The cast. The cast all came from Egypt, including some very famous actors and actresses. We would fly them out 
put them up in the hotel for six, seven, eight weeks, during which they would make these hundred episode TV dramas, right? <laughs> um, in, and they would be done as if it was film. It wasn't done as if it was TV. Yeah. So you had all these cameras that weren't used because you just used a single, single yeah, camera. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. done like film. Yeah. So long story short is that I blag my way into a job with Ajman Independent Studios as a producer, never having ever in my life set foot in any form of TV studio or facilities house. Uh, or in Ajman. Uh, all in Ajman. <laughs> yeah, I'm given a four bedroom, because in those days it was, most people had a total package. You know, you get a salary, housing, healthcare, everything. Yeah. Um, you've got no choice about where you're going to live. Anyway, there was nowhere to live. Yeah, right. I'm given a four bedroom house uh, on the compound with the TV studios. And so that's how I came to be in Ajman. <laughs> And the job was terrible. Yeah. I was rubbish at it. Yeah. I had a boss uh, who was a Syrian guy who'd learned all his stuff about TV in Germany. Yeah. He spoke German and Arabic, but no English. And from the day I walked in to the day I left six months later, he did not say a word to me in any language. <laughs> but I met a very cool actress from Egypt who I kind of squired for a while, a lady called Nadia Al-Kalani, who's very famous. She died, sadly, a number of years ago. So I had this Egyptian girlfriend. And then I met my second wife, having had a first wife in the UK as a very young guy. Um, so, um, yeah, I met the lovely Mandy. All so the nice also, as, as, as Mike English, I know from um, mm. the time when the Entertainer were doing, well, Mike... Super brands. Yeah, super brands. So Mike is now the worldwide super brands supremo. Yeah. Super brands used to be those big books. Yes. It still yeah. is. Yeah. Still going. Is. It's still, still going. going. I mean, obviously been hit a little bit by COVID. By the way, I'm a super brands ambassador and I am the MC every year of As the super should. brands events in Dubai and in Malaysia. Yeah. Fantastic. Another Congratulations. Story for which I have learned to speak a little bit of Bahasa. Malay and can say things to people in audiences and make them laugh. So That's very, always, very weird. So what do you always say? Like you were the original Tom Erka. No, that's that's too kind. But Tom is a sterling superstar and has got proper credentials. Tom was the Daily Telegraph stringer here for a while, you know, so he's he's pucker. The other thing about Tom, actually I'm very annoyed about Tom because he's far too good looking. <laughs> because if you're lining up people to go and present an event yeah. with the MC, yeah. you look at something like me and you look at Tom Urker, Tom Urker every bloody time. Even I would bow to the good looks and he's a good looking man he's a very good and he scrubs up well yeah pants is not as good as yours no no not at all no 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 we've had we've had tom on the show and and currently i don't believe it and and, and he's been fantastic on Mm. uh, all the things actually we've crossed over doing things here so many times we were both sort of in a bizarre way headhunted for no money to go to Dubai Eye when it launched in 2005 mm. by a mad Australian called David Marshall and a tall South African called Gavin Dickinson. Um, and um, Tom uh, got the gig of doing breakfast, I think, or maybe mid-morning for a long time um, because I had a proper job doing real things. 
I volunteered to do a couple of shows at the weekend. Sure. And I ended up having three shows. So Tom and I would see a lot of one another down at the station, usually complaining about how mental David Marshall was. <laughs> yeah. So we missed a little bit there after after the Edge Man, mm-hmm. six months. Yeah, a lot you've missed. So uh, thirty years. Now. Yeah, let's. Uh, so you've had enough of Ajman. Well, the, the Syrian they, boss. It was a mu- it was a mutually agreed position. Agreed to, be to disagree. Honest, meaning that I kind of got shuffled out. I mean, I was ready to go. Okay. And you know, you're 26, yeah. and you don't care, do you? I think as you get older, you begin to care because you've got school fees and children, and That's but true. when you're young, you think it doesn't matter. And I got that into my mind that it didn't matter um didn't leave under the best of terms but the very day i left i ended up in a terrible terrible pub in a three-star hotel in dira what's happened to a few with mandy well you're not the only yeah i know and it wasn't new york (laughs) i promise you Um, we didn't say it was the york well (laughs) you know you've been alluding to (laughs) such things on the on the dry on the dry and i will talk about that later it's not it's a family show really anyway i'm sitting with my then brand new girlfriend i think she was a bit annoyed that i'd left my glamorous job in television not knowing that it was and what about the, the egyptian lady she was disappointed uh, yeah too? gone she'd gone yeah, but then right. she'd film us finished okay, filming so. her programming and yeah. then gone back and we never met again anyway and i bumped into a guy called ronnie middleton now ronnie was the son of the former head of British Airways for a huge macro region, which included Yemea and Pakistan. Mm. And he'd been brought up as an expat brat. They'd ended up in Bahrain. Dad had retired. And Ronnie kind of just hung around in Bahrain. And he was very clever. He himself had worked for British Airways for a while. He got to know a man called Anwar Mohammed Abdul Rahman, who was the owner of the daily Arabic newspaper in Bahrain called Akbar Al Khalij. Mm-hmm. And uh, over a beer, because in those days all the locals drank uh, and wore business suits, by the way. They weren't in Kanduras like they are really? today in Bahrain. No, nobody. Interesting. So Anwar and Ronnie um, said, let's set up a English language newspaper, a companion to Akbar al Khalij, which is called Gulf Daily News. It was the first tabloid in the region. Mm-hmm. And anyway, Ronnie then does well, makes a lot of money from advertising. And suddenly he's in Dubai and he says to me, You're the guy, aren't you, who used to work for the Daily Express? I went, Yeah. How do you know? He said, Oh, you know, put a few feelers out. He said, Come and work for me. I said, where? He said, here, because we're setting up an office and we're going to launch five business-to-business magazines, a construction magazine, a shipping magazine, a banking magazine, and a couple of magazines aimed at expats, right? Which will be filled, hopefully, with financial services advertising. So over the course of several small orange juices, um, uh, literally a back of an envelope is produced in a pen and I get my contract and I start with him like almost the next day yeah um, and it just went gangbusters you know it was it was just it was good timing it was kismet um, because the, the construction magazine in particular and this was in the real boom days in the, all yeah, over yeah. the Middle East um, it was called Gulf Construction and Saudi Arabia Review. And there was a prototype had been launched to show to advertisers. The prototype had 36 pages of advertising in it. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. And after a year, our golf construction magazine was almost difficult to bind. It was 300 and something pages, 70% of which was advertising. And that was a monthly? Or it was uh, monthly. Monthly So and all of these magazines did very well. Mm. So I did that for five years. Mm -hmm. So is a great guy. So Ronnie, really well, oh. done it really well because I knew his dad or him were the last people to fly Concorde into Bahrain. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the whole family did. And Ronnie yeah. used to have the entertainer in Bahrain. Did he? Yeah. Ah, okay. I never knew that part. Yeah. So I had a wonderful time. Ronnie was a, a wonderful boss, very positive, never had a bad word to say about anything or any situation. And he used to say, it's going to be enormous. That was the, Al, it was a company called Al Hilal Publishing yeah. and Marketing yes. Group. Yeah. And he used to say, it's going to be enormous, JD. It's going to be enormous. Stick with us. So I did that for five years built a huge office in Dubai, yeah. about 35 people working for me, all those days you go to London, you would advertise on the Capital Radio job spot for sales execs yeah. and you would bring over Brits. And Ronnie and I would go and recruit yeah. um, uh, in a hotel and the Capital Radio job spot applicants would turn up and um, it got to the stage where even before we'd ask them a question, we would just say, when can you start? We just, you know, because it was too boring to go through the, so, you know, when did you start with, you know, scouting monthly, yeah. you know, so we just hired everybody. But did they know, did they know what they were getting into? No, because it was all typically the person I had been nine months oh, previously, right, 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 a little right. bit tired of. Yeah. And of course, in that era in London, it was just, it was, it was after the three day week and the miners and all that. Things were not yeah. exactly hunky dory. Although yeah. I do remember by going backwards to London, I do remember those are the days of Daily Express gave everybody a company car. Yeah. Right. Which was not treated as a benefit in kind, so not taxed. And you could drive into central London. I lived in Chiswick, park, and then in the daytime, do your rounds around the advertising agencies. My patch was Paddington and Soho. And you would just go up at lunchtime, find a parking place, take some hapless media buyer out for a very good lunch, and then drive back to the Daily Express, then go to the pub, then go to Covent Garden, to a pub called Brams and List, um, and then drive home at 11 o'clock at night, stopping at the Wimpy Bar in Chiswick, <laughs> and then wake up in the morning about 430 with the remnants of a cheeseburger uh, all down your suit, which you'd never got out of. Get up, change a tie shirt, brush Let's your do teeth it again. and do it again. That was London. But anyway, um, the, there was so much potential yeah. in these EMEA markets in mm. those days. Al-Halal were wonderful. They were so good to me. So before that, well, what was there as a, as a publication? Was anything there? No, they were repping, Ronnie had a brother called George, um, yeah. and George was in Dubai repping bits and pieces of Bahrain stuff. Sure, sure, but sure. the hub for the magazine operation mm. was really Dubai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what happened was I did that for five years, got married um, to Mandy, uh, and then in 1984 I was sent to London to do an exploratory strategic review of potentiality for us opening an office in London. They liked what they saw 
So a year later, they said, we want you to go to London and open an office in London. And the publications from here would go there? Well, we were selling. So you take Gulf Construction. Yeah. So instead of trying to sell. So so it was fine if you were selling to oh, sure, a company sure, here. Sure, sure. You know, or a company who'd established themselves here. But, but yeah. there were many, many, many thousands of companies who were just selling into the Middle East yeah, through representation. We would love to get So suddenly you were in London and JCB, for example, would be a target. You'd go to JCB and you'd meet their communications guy, their ad guy, and you would sell him whatever. And then we had a publication called Middle East Expatriate. Um, I hired a wonderful, wonderful lady called Aldith Stein to sell that. And she became very popular with the sort of advertising agency crowd. And And was that more of What was that more? That was more... So that was all financial advertising okay. for expats. So sure. in the days that you would, you know, you wanted an offshore account in Jersey, sure, Isle of sure, Man. Sure. So that was her patch. It was Jersey, Guernsey, Isle of Man, some London, a lot in Scotland, actually, because mm. Scotland and Edinburgh, there was a, if you remember, before they all went bust, you know, with RBS and Bank of Scotland and whatever yeah, in yeah. those days. So and, before and, lots of De Vere and... Yes, but before De Vere had pitched up in town here. So Aldith would go... I remember I went with her once to meet a guy called Johnny Struthers in Edinburgh who had an advertising agency called Struthers Advertising, unsurprisingly. <laughs> and he had the RBS account. And so she would warm him up on the phone and so we flew up to Edinburgh. He picked us up at the airport in his Bentley, drove us into the agency, introduced the media buyer. And he just said to the media buyer, I love this magazine called Middle East Expatriate. I want you to book 12 back covers for RBS for the next year. And it was huge money. Yeah, right. And we would be so excited that we would typically drink ourselves silly on the plane back into <laughs> London. And I don't know how we ever managed to stay legal, really. Um, and and so the London operation, and by, by the way, by this time, it was Thatcherism yeah. in London itself. Yeah. And the whole of the city was going nuts. Yeah. Um, I opened an office for them in the city yeah. in a, a very interesting lane called Martin Lane, just off Cannon Street, mm. in uh, which was above the original El Vino wine bar. Um, and it was strange Rabbit Warren kind of office, um, very odd um, uh, landlord in the form of the owner of El Vino, who wore a wing collar and a tailcoat. <laughs> and we complain all the time about us, about the girls in our office putting too many sanitary pads down the toilet because <laughs> uh, it blocked all the toilets in the pub downstairs. So, so it, but it was, and then it became very lucrative and yeah. Al Hilal really began to take off big time, you know. So, yeah. And that went through to... So then I... So we... Mandy got a great job in London too. Uh, She's an HR person. Mm -hmm. So she got a job as a computer software recruitment specialist um, working for a company called KPG, not KPMG, who in the time she was there went from 170th in the market to number one and earned huge sums of money. But all to get people... To the Middle East? No, no. So her company was all to do was okay. with the UK okay. market. Okay. It was right. nothing to do with the Middle right. East. So we did that. Um, then we finally had a baby after 10 years of trying. Um, and then um, Ronnie kind of welched on a deal. Mm. 
and he would be happy me telling this story because, you know, which was that the deal was go to London for five years and then come back as the group general manager of the company. Yeah. And then six months before I was due to do that, I heard on the grapevine that another man called Clive Jakes had been given that job. Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie. <laughs> and then, um, so I was a bit disconsolate, went home. Yeah. But this time we're living in a lovely house in Old Isleworth. Yeah. Uh, Mandy was at home having a bath. And I told her and she said, just call him now. You've got to just confront him, call yeah. it out. Called him. I said, I believe Clive's got that job. Uh, yeah, what can I tell you, you know? Mm. So what about me? He said, well, you know, you're doing a great job there. I said, we don't want to stay here. We want to come back. Um, so I put my hand over the the, the phone. Yeah. Call through to Mandy in the bath. What do I do? She said, resign, but resign, get a good golden goodbye yeah. Yeah. amount. Yeah. I said, okay. So I said, well, look, I, in the circumstances, I think we have to agree to, yeah. for me to leave. And that was fine. And he paid me a lot of money to leave. We were then 34, I think, both mm. of us are 33 years old. Mm. And we thought, let's retire to the country. How Jeez, mental is that? Good on you, Ronnie. It was a good yeah. payout. Well, it wasn't, actually, as it turned out, because we bought... A stunning um, old house in a town called Shrewsbury in Shropshire um, and attempted to turn it back into a single dwelling house. Somebody yeah. had, after the war, turned it into flats, yeah, yeah. four-storey house. And um, so we ploughed everything into that bit by bit, took months and months. And then one day I was with my builder standing outside going, how much do you think it's going to cost me to finish? And he went, maybe five. I went, what, five grand? He went, uh, no, 50 grand. And at that point we thought, oh my God, this is a money pit, what a big mistake. Right. That night it was a big storm, huge storm. We were feeling a bit gloomy and the doorbell went. Who can that be at this time of night? Open the door and standing in the porch. Running. No, Ian Fair oh. Service. Oh. <laughs> Seriously. Ian Fair Service, who had been a mate ever yeah. since turned up in Dubai years yeah, before, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Bottle of champagne. Come in. And Come out of the rain. Come in. Come out of the rain. What are you doing here? And he said, Come to London. I'm opening a, it wasn't a branch actually of Motivate. He's opening his own company in London but which he got permission from his partner, Obed Altair, to call Motivate. Mm -hmm. And um, what are we going to do? Ian's pet thing is hospitality, because he had started as an assistant hotel manager in Dubai in an old Sheraton in a place called Garden City, mm -hmm. and then started Motivate, done very well. So ten, here we are 10 years on, and um, he's done well, and he's going to do a magazine in London called Great Hospitality. So we then, together in London, spent a year doing Great Hospitality. I, by the way, I, you know, didn't really need to do this job, but I wanted to do it because Ian's such a great guy and yeah. a hoot, right? And um, so Mandy, poor Mandy, who was now pregnant with second child, stayed in this terrible dilapidated house, the money pit. I got the train down every Monday and I came back up every Thursday. So four days a week I devoted to establishing this magazine, Great Hospitality. We had a blast and it was a ticket, believe me, for eating in the finest London 
dining establishments three times a day for the whole year. We met incredible people like Anton Mossman, mm. um, Ken Ho, Jeremiah Tyre in LA. We knew all the wine merchants and wine wineries. Is that a yeah. thing? Owners in France, Spain, whatever. Um, we had them. terrible. Yeah. Terrible job. Oh. But unfortunately, mm. um, oh, and it was they went bankrupt because they're so young. Well, it, <laughs> didn't, it didn't go bankrupt, but we were too much happened. Uh, we and we did things like um, um, I can't remember the name. It was a very famous old old restaurateur, come author, um, who oh, it will come to me in a, in a minute. And Ian, who can just charm the devil out of hell himself uh, persuaded this old guy who'd advanced bowel cancer to sign 10,000 copies of his book so that we could give them as an incentive for people to buy a subscription to great hospitality. Unfortunately, this did not go very well. The whole thing after a year was just a disaster. Mm. So I retreated back to Shrewsbury and two days after I got back, I get a phone call and it is from an old client in Dubai called Tony Stammers, who said there is an advertising agency, a rather large one, in Detroit, Michigan, and New York. They're the fourth largest agency in the world at the moment, and they're called Bozell, Jacobs, Kenyon, and Eckhart. And the international um, kind of guy for that company has asked me to find a guy to come and open a branch of Bazel Jacobs Kenyon in Dubai. And this guy is called Shawi Safiadin. He's Lebanese, but he's lived for many years in Athens and he commutes between uh, Beirut, Athens and New York. Okay. Um, and he would like to meet you. Can you meet him tomorrow afternoon in Maida Vale at five in a hotel? So I said, yep. Yeah. Went down, met Shawi, who seemed to know all about me and just did a kind of when can you start number on me, which was rather surprising. Yeah. He said, the only thing is I do want you to meet the current CEO of Bazel London, who was called Roger, who was that time the Super Brands guy, and we'll come back to Super Brands. Right. So of course I walk in and it's a done deal. We go and have a lunch with another man called Murray Livington Smith, who could say salt and pepper and order off a menu in 27 languages, and who also worked for Brazil internationally. And then I got a job, and then the Gulf War happened. And then they said, oh, you'll have to stay there because being an American company, we can't insure you or your family. So we sat around for maybe three months until that was sorted out. Um, Because of course, Kuwait and, uh, sorry, Iraq invaded Kuwait on August Mm. the 2nd, 1990. Yeah. Right. Um, So it went on for a while and then there was the big conflagration and and then um, so what did um it's a good question i mean what mm. business in bahrain and dubai during that period did it just go on as usual or no not at all just shut down i think it shut down and you know but the thing is that if you talk to people here who've been here as long as i have and people like well james to an extent and you well you're 20 years yeah and 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 ronnie i guess you know you get used to the ebb and flow yeah sure sure sure. um i mean nobody talks about the construction recession of 1984 because they simply have no perspective on it but there was one why 
Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, people maybe got cold feet about the pace, okay. possibly, right. in 1984, but things did decline markedly. Yeah. And there was a little bit of a mini recession. Um, nobody talks about the nationalisation of the petrol stations, which sent shivers you know, through people because the, you used to go and get petrol here from BP Shell or yep. or um, Texaco, yeah, yeah. I think. Maybe I'm not right about that, but it was definitely there were Shell stations, BP stations. Yeah, overnight, yeah. The they were nationalised. Yeah. Um, so then you had Emirat and Enoch, Epco and Adnock suddenly took them all over. But there was a couple of days when you couldn't get petrol. Right. And, you know, so people, but you just got used to those things. Sure, you know, sure, sure. And, we, and again, we were all young. You were gung-ho. Yeah. It was a bit like the Klondike in a sense. Mm. And you thought, well, we're doing okay. And what's yeah. the worst that can happen, you know? Um, and actually, the truth is, they were much more relaxed about visas in those days. Right. I can remember have, having no visa of any kind for about nine months. And so, so without, I mean, I mean, apart from Ajman TV, which was going on and yeah. publications, and mm. and I'm sure there wasn't really you weren't getting satellite TV or anything like that. No, that came in '92. So, so bars, I presume, hotels were was a, a regular thing or was there a lot of them or yeah. what so that's an interesting story because in the first time first part of my time here mm. so that was 19 roughly 79 to 85 um you would go out on a thursday night or a friday night to Sharjah. Yeah. That that was where that was where it happened. That was where it happened. Okay. And of course, sadly, Dr. Sheikh Sultan Al Kazmi's son, one of his sons, passed away at that time. I won't go into the details, but mm. it was felt by um, Sheikh Sultan that there were contributory factors that led to him okay. thinking that he should create a prohibition order. Okay. Which has persisted to this and day. Eighty five. Around that, the was, um, that was mid-80s. Okay, it okay, probably okay. was 85. There was also the coup attempt in 86 in Shosh, <laughs> right. um, when his cousin attempted to take over. Yeah. Anyway, that was crushed yeah. when Sheikh Mohammed uh, bin Rashid sent the tanks down the street and it was solved very quickly. Solved by lunchtime? By lunchtime, right. Um, uh, so, so there were, you know, things going on, but so, so suddenly Sharjah, Mm. It was terrible. You know, and there, there was one street that was just lined with bars and clubs and kellers and you name it, you know, and, and then suddenly it was So that was, that, was, that was bigger than Dubai? Yes, that yeah, scene. Yeah. And of course, Dubai had had a prohibition in the 70s Did for a couple of that. years, yeah. And it was a federal order. And um, Khalaf al-Habtur, for whom I worked, edited and published mm. his autobiography, mm. um, tells very candidly the story of how he, in the 70s, had put enough money together to open the Metropolitan Hotel, right. the original Metropolitan yeah, yeah, yeah. legendary, yeah. fantastic, which was, you know, people used, would say, Oh, we're not going there, are we? I mean, it's miles out of town, <laughs> right? Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it had the famous Red Lion, a couple yeah, of yeah. other uh, yeah. places. Yeah. And uh, so he there tells... There a couple of others. What was the other bar the there? Snake. There was a snake. Snake. Uh, 
Rattlesnake. Rattlesnake, yeah. yeah. And there was Don Corleone, the, yeah. the best, best Chinese Chinese in Tannis. Best Chinese, Summerland. Yeah, yeah. Best yeah. Chinese the original, like, proper The original, yeah. full on. Anyway, Claff tells a story in his book about how he goes to London on a trip, business trip, and the hotel has just opened. And then he hears that um, the prohibition has come in. And in a fit of peak, uh, he just got a car to take him straight to Heathrow. He got on a plane in his Western clothes and he flew to Dubai and he went straight to the ruler's court to see Sheikh Rashid and he had a set of keys. And uh, Sheikh Rashid and all the other guys were going, oh, Calaf, you know, we thought you were in London. He went, no, I have come back. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And he just went, anyway, here you are, your highness. Plonked the set of keys in front of him. She asked, what's this? He said, it's the keys to my hotel. Oh, well, why? He said, well, it's pointless now because of prohibition, you know? And he said, if we, and he went on a rant apparently, if we want this city to develop, if we want the expatriates to come, if you want, you know, further development, your yeah. highness, with great respect, you know, you've dredged the creek, you've created, uh, you know, Jebel Ali, uh, we've got Dubal. <laughs> if you want expats to come, rather than go to Saudi or wherever, you want them here and based here, if you want companies, there needs to be alcoholic beverages for sale. And within a very short space of time, uh, discretion became the better part of valour. And the Dubai authorities discovered that the federal decree for prohibition was open to interpretation uh, by individual rulers. Great. Right. This is a great story. So I know, that's a great story. And that's in his book. Yeah. Mm. That's fantastic. So, so that was the mid-80s. Um, it was starting to grow. Expat families were obviously here for different reasons for the for the power station and mm. and things like that. Publications were growing. What was the next step for you? So um, I worked for Bazell. Uh, we, so, the Jacobs Kenyan so, the, so after the Gulf, the Gulf Wars yeah finished. 91 then we finally then came and yeah. one of these kind of a, a phone call saying it's on. <laughs> you need to be here like tomorrow yeah, with your on. family yeah. um, a kind former friend uh, well friend who's a current friend but who we'd known in Dubai from the previous time found us a villa to move into straight away um, and we came with a two-year-old and a baby in a crib in And if, in you, we're, if you don't mind me asking, whereabouts was that? It was in Safa Village. And Safa Village is on the Al-Wassel Road. Yeah. It is the only Alpha Team compound that they've ever built because Alpha Team built a lot of apartment blocks, but never. So it's a stunning compound. Um, and it's right across the street from Safa Park. Awaso Road was so quiet in those days that we could let where, our five-year-old kids. Lloyd's out. TSB was. It's 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 still there. It's, it's Lloyd's. It's now yeah. HSBC. Yeah, yeah. So it's just two hundred yards from HSBC, and of course, it's now uh, under the canopy of the bridge which yeah, goes sure. over the canal. I went back there recently to have a look because we're in that house for eight years. I went back to have a look. And I couldn't figure out, I got a bit discombobulated until I realised that to accommodate the canal, 
literally half of the compound had been demolished. It took me a while to figure that. Anyway, our old house had survived. So I presume it was all sort of patches of compounds rather than built up. It was. I don't know. This is something that's even very fuzzy in my mind. And I get asked a lot about this, about what was actually Dubai like way back, let's say yeah, 1978. Yeah. And my impression was that they, more than anyone, could divine the future. They kind of knew what was coming somehow. Because mm. actually the road system was not too dissimilar. I mean, it was all like too, too. Uh, yeah, there was a median, but yeah, it'd just yeah, right. be one lane on either side. And then millions of roundabouts, most of which okay. disappeared. So and uh, in 78, the trade center had opened, right. run by a lovely British man called Guy Guillemard. Who's still here, by the way? He'd be great to have on. He 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 was Capital Club, wasn't he? he and wasn't guy Capital set Club. up Capital Club originally, yeah, yeah mm. which became Ensha and then became mm. something else mm. for various reasons. That's yeah. a big story as well. Mm. But anyway, um, so there's a trade center. Mm. Um, so to just give you an idea of the landscape of the place, um, <laughs> so in '78, Jumeirah finished at the zoo. Do you know where the zoo, yes, yeah. the old zoo, is? Yeah. There was nothing else. There was just sand dunes after that, right? right? Um, towards towards um, where we're now sitting, which okay, is okay, in okay, okay, Heights. okay. That was the end. There's nothing. Right. Um, um, so no Chicago Beach Hotel. No Chicago Beach. No. When, when I say nothing, I mean there was no no villas, no complex, okay, no okay. nothing. And then eventually there was the Chicago Beach Hotel. Yeah, right, right. And after the Chicago Beach Hotel, where the Ritz Carlton now is, mm. was the hundred villas. So there yeah, were right. 100 bungalows, which were actually quite sought after, yeah, were as was the CBV, Chicago Beach Village Village. Yeah, yeah. But that was kind of it. And mm. so Dubai was more oriented in those days towards Deera, I would say. Yeah, that's right. And mm. Burr Dubai, literally, you know, across the creek. Well, that was, I mean, the, uh, right up to the 90s, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, when we I, used to come for the Dubai Sevens from Saudi, mm -hmm. you would be, your social part was Bird Dubai Dera. We were never coming up. Uh, that's, that's right. I mean, my office in the 80s, after I'd left telly and gone mm -hmm. to work for Ronnie at Al Hilal, uh, was in the Dubai Bank building. Um, on the creek. On the creek, right on the creek. Um, Sales guys would jump on the Abra. If they'd sales calls in Birdie Bay, they'd <laughs> pay 50 fills to go that way instead of the hassle of getting the car out of the parking and drive all the way around. Um, but sweaty in the. Uh, yeah, but they would be in full suit. In those days, all my guys were suit tie, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And a briefcase, yeah. Um, often bought, if they didn't have one, they'd soon find one in a hooky shop in Dubai. <laughs> uh, I can remember, I've got a funny story from those days, actually. I can remember the story of the parking meters, as MD told you that story before. So one day, Sheikh Rashid is being shown around um, developments in Dubai. And um, he was being shown around by the then acting director of the municipality, who was a Sudanese guy called Kazim Sultan. So he was a nice chap. And so they're in a chauffeur-driven car and they get to Deera. And one of the municipality's initiatives was thinking through a consultancy project, probably done by some American people, that it was high time they had parking meters and people should pay to park in Deera. So they get to um, uh, Deera in the chauffeur-driven car and Sheikh Rashid says, what are all these poles that have suddenly appeared everywhere? Oh, your highness, those are parking meters. 
what is a parking meter? Well, Your Highness, um, people now have to pay to park. Uh-huh. How do they do that? Well, the thing at the top of the pole, they take out a couple of coins and they put it in, and that gives them a set time to park. Sheikh Rash has said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, we've set up Dubai as tax-free, no letter hindrance, no regimes of any kind, so you just have to get rid of them. <laughs> By this time, they had hired traffic wardens who walked around in peat caps and uniforms, um, but the meters weren't operational, so the traffic wardens, hundreds of them were all training, little books to write tickets, and then um, overnight, um, so several years on, maybe three or four years, all around era, all those streets, the poles had been removed, but they'd been removed by cutting them off about oh, maybe yeah, right. you know, 100 centimetres off the ground. Good for your shins. So, like, yes. Yeah, so, so it was just funny things like that would happen <laughs> in those days. I love all these stories. And, yeah, no, no, and, that, and, the, and Sheikh Rashid was right. I mean, that was the whole yeah. idea, yeah. wasn't it? You know, but you, I do like the way, yeah, not so much into it. No. And very calm, you know. Also, there's another um, great, I love this other Sheikh Rashid story. This shows the vision. So I became very friendly in those days with the head of Halcrow, who were the really the principal consultant to the ruler's office in those days. And they had an office next to the TV studios and the British Council, right, just across the Almacton Bridge. And it was run by a very lovely urbane British guy called Mel Stewart, uh, whose flat in Kew I eventually bought off him. <laughs> so... That was years later, but Mel uh, said that in the early days, and he predated me by at least 12 years, so it would be the early 60s, and they would go with Sheikh Rashid way out into the desert, just dunes and dunes and dunes, with his guys all in suits and ties and white shirts, everything <laughs> done up, and um, it would be about building the highway, you know, that would connect eventually with the highway being built up the way, that, you know, from Abu Dhabi. Mm. And... Um, so the Halkut guys would, of course, done plans and they would made suggestions and said, we should do this or that, and here's the location. And so Mel can remember being with His Highness, Sheikh Rashid, and saying, well, so we think it basically should be here. And Sheikh Rashid would go, no, 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 come with me. And they would walk 150 meters across Hajun and go, it should be here. Why, Your Highness? Because that piece of land, bear in mind this is just all desert, there's nothing. No yeah, frames yeah, yeah. of reference yeah, at yeah. all, nothing. Yeah. You see, I gave that plot of land to a Kuwaiti guy about 10 years ago. Oh, wow. He just knew all these things. It was just yeah. in his head. It's amazing. Wow. Mm. So, so now we're flowing through the 80s. Yeah. We're now into the 90s. Dubai hasn't really started to... 2000. Well, I guess we're starting into it. What was it? What was it like in the 90s? Well, I, I mean, it, it for me it was just booming, and um, um, I was working for the Americans. Mm -hmm. I had uh, I had a strange reporting thing. I reported, boom, straight reporting line mm -hmm. to a guy in New York mm -hmm. called Jerry Mathis, and I reported to a guy here. 
because we had bought a, to get into the market, we bought an existing agency. <laughs> so the guy that I reported to here was the head of that agency. And frankly, he and I did not exactly, it wasn't a meeting of the minds. It wasn't a brain trust, really. And I struggled on with that for five years. We actually did a fantastic job. Uh, our main client was Chrysler Corporation in those days. It was yeah. before the merger with Daimler. And Chrysler relaunched. That was my main job, really. It was relaunching Chrysler, mm-hmm. um, who by that time had bought Jeep from American Motors. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had not been in the market for the preceding maybe 20 years they, mm. because you know they went through a lot of financial problems in the States. So we just did a great job and everybody was very happy, but uh, I could not work with this particular individual. Sure. And those days you also didn't worry because the whole advertising sector was just going nuts. Mm. All the big multinationals had come in. Right. Um, and like bees, you me honeybees, you know, uh, after the honey. Um, except honeybees don't go after honey, do they? Pollinate yeah, flowers and they create honey, but never mind. Wrong analogy. <laughs> we got the point. You get the point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and um, so, I, so I, I quit. And the next day I had two offers. And I too. I love the way that yeah. when things finish, they. It, it was amazing. And, yeah. it, and, and I would suggest mm-hmm. that. I was just, it was just the right guy, the right age, the right time, the right place, right number of contacts, quite mm-hmm. honestly, because that's true what I say. I'm not, I'm not making this up, but for many years, one thing would just segue very neatly into another. Um, anyway, I joined, I had two offers and I went for the, what I thought was the not so good offer, but I liked the guy very much. For me, it's always a very yeah. personal, I've got to like the, right way. the, the people, the boss, I've mm. got to. Mm. It was a company called Caspian Advertising, mm. um, run by, I think the only two intellectual that I've ever worked for in my life, called Mark Karassi. He's uh, Iranian, mm. uh, domiciled in Canada. He'd built up a great little uh, agency, very creative guy too. First guy to ever make 16 mil mm. ads here, um, which are way ahead of their time. And um, I'd known him a little bit from before. Mm-hmm. Um, we had kids exactly the same age. That often helps too, you know, yeah, yeah. similar age. Mark's a wee bit older than me, but, and um, he just sort of said, you know, here are the keys to the agency. I know you're gonna do a great job, I'm going to go back now permanently to Toronto and do a PhD. Bye. <laughs> and um, he allowed me to hire some great additions to what was already a nice little team. Um, I hired the best ever um, new business executive I've ever worked with in my life, who then went on to work with me in three subsequent companies over 20 years, a girl called Emma Jones. Mm-hmm. who was an uncompromising, hard-drinking monk who could drink all the clients under the table, um, stay up till five o'clock in the morning, but she'd be the first person in the office at eight the next day. Perfect. And on emails, you know, no slacking, brilliant. Um, So I did that. And then Greg Sedgwick came into my life. Uh, Greg, um, uh, get another fantastic, amazing ad guy, Mm -hmm. terribly, terribly trendy London style and he had a company called Sedgwick Richardson partnered with a guy called Gareth Richardson. Gareth by this time had based himself in Hong Kong 
and Greg was here with a bunch of very dubious business partners and it was not going that well. So he found a new business partner um, and we got to know one another every Thursday for about six months. We would go to Harvesters in the Holiday Inn and have fish and chips at lunchtime. And then after six months, he said, come on board, leave Caspian. Um, I'll give you shares and be the joint MD with me. So, and it was a great offer. And so I went went off to do that, which was TMH. Okay. And so that 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 then was a huge part of my life for the next twelve years. And TMH was such a large organization. Well, it was tiny when we started it. It was it was like there was Greg, me, an admin girl, a couple of designers. Um, in an office I never got to the bottom of who actually owned it. I think it, it might have been Khaled Al Taja, but I was never quite sure in a dodgy part of Dubai. But we had such a spirit, you know, and we were trying to be deliberately at London, you know, everybody had a business card with a different colour on the back, which we thought was so out there. Um, I could bring my dog Hector to the office and he had a yeah. business card. Um and for a while, we really didn't know if it was going to work because we were se- it was brand management we were selling. Right. We were the very, very first homegrown branding agency in town. Mm. Again, to be much copied, you know, yeah, sure. suddenly all the old boys who'd been here for 20 years, they had a division that also did brand management mysteriously. But uh, Greg was phenomenal, creative genius. And we picked up after living off of beans on toast for quite a long time we picked up simultaneously the Jumeirah business um, a huge chunk of Emirates mm. mind you a lot of agencies will say oh we had that business yeah. but we anyway everybody had a bit of Emirates because they were going nuts Two of the biggest. and um, and um, it just grew and grew and grew and and then scarily eventually I think we had 55 people most of them extremely highly paid designers um, but for a mix you know mm. Lebanese Jordanian a lot of Brits uh, we had one American with with American guy whose father gifted him ten thousand dollars worth of apple shares oh, when oh, they were six dollars okay. he's now as you can imagine a multi-gazillionaire living living in colorado anyway it was a great team great team spirit and it was one of these things where we finally moved to become the sixth tenant in the new media city and building okay. two the cnn building um um a lot of stories about that as well but i think i'd better draw a veil at that point because i don't want to upset the living and i do want to stay here for a bit longer as well um but we were there um and uh, we built a phenomenal office you know pool table in the lobby and all that did you ever see that yeah Yeah. and um and uh, and did great work and what i liked most was that uh, apart from being like having to like the people i'm working for or with um I like stability, and and there was a it was a there was a good six years between two thousand and one and two thousand and seven probably where nobody left, nobody resigned. So you would get in the lift every day with the same. Crew.
crew. And it was a fun, fun company, really. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, it certainly sounds you've had a rich and uh, long history in this in this beautiful town. And I think it's a question we, we always ask is, what what are the main things, and obviously this could go on, but what are the main things you love about Dubai and the reason why you continue to live here? Well, I haven't always loved it, and I, I, it's ebbed and flowed, you know, sometimes with my mood, sometimes with how business was going. Yeah. And there have been difficult times too, you know, even with TMH when we were doing very, very well. And I'm grateful for the fact that so much of the the executive offices and Dubai Holdings business was entrusted with us. Mm. I mean, at one time, we developed all the branding for just about everything mm. on on uh, what was called the Emirates Ring Road and is now the Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Road. So all the precursors to Dubai Land and, and sure, indeed, sure, sure, sure. Dubai Land branding was done by by one of my lovely young designers, a guy called Mike Roy. He came up with the name as well, which we laughed at. We thought Sheikh Mohammed will never go with Dubai Land. How stupid, but that was what he went with. Um, so it's ebbed and flowed. We had, of course, the terrible crisis of 9-11. That also damaged business here quite significantly. Right, right. Um, um, uh, but, um, I, you know, I like, I like the weather. Does mm-hmm. that sound trite? I like no, the weather. of course not. I, mean, I, li- I just like it. I mean, yeah. who's, what is there not to like? It's only, I've analysed this, and I, I think there are actually only four months a year where it's hot, hot. Mm. Really, and I mean, I, I, in late life, I've become a runner, mm. and I know this because I go, I run every day, mm. every day, and and I know, of course, my limitations when it's forty-five Celsius and ninety percent humidity. But um, it's winter time here is magnificent, of course, it is. and then. And I'm talking of running and sports, so much has developed triathlon com- yeah, of course. Com- or companies organizing everything from triathlons to cycling the spinnies to thing everything. and a million other people yeah, yeah. have got into that and good on them, you know. Mm. Um, uh, so there's there's a lot more to do. Um, I'm amazed at how restaurants seem to thrive here. Even I, 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 Ian Fairservice, I think, told me that in, even during the pandemic, like some like 35 new concept restaurants opened, yeah. you know. Now, a lot of them are going to close down. Sorry, guys, this is true. But, but that happens everywhere. It happens everywhere, yeah. of course. You know, and, and, and sophisticated restaurateurs, international yeah. restaurants know this. Yeah. But, but it's worth a pun. Um, I'm proud to have been involved as well in so many, you know, developmental things here. You know, Gerald Lawless of Jumeirah, you know, his first business card just said Gerald Lawless and had his mobile number on it because they didn't even know what they were going to call Jumeirah Group, you know. And he sat in a porta cabin on the site of the demolished Chicago Beach Hotel, you know. So just to, to see all these kind of things that I've worked on on and off over the years. Well, which has happened in a relatively short time. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would stand in my magnificent boardroom at TMH looking out over the palm, which had been constructed, you know, and visitors would come from all over the world, you know, because we yeah, had yeah. international clients. And they would say, so, John, you know, you've been here for 25 years already, so... How much of this was here? And I'd go, okay. And we did this 280 degree view yeah. my boardroom. And I would say, okay, 
nothing. <laughs> exactly. There was nothing. Oh, I don't, come on, there must have been. No, there was nothing. You know, so that's an interesting thing. Dubai Golf Course yeah. and uh, Emirates yeah. Golf Course and maybe a Hard Rock Cafe. Yeah. So yeah. I think that it's been a great city for mm. entrepreneurs. I think yeah. that it's, um, it allows people to thrive. I think once you get through those initial stumbling blocks of paperwork and, you know, which fees on authority, for example, you're going to work with, or are you going to go with the DED or, you know, listening to advice from different people, you know, you're fine, really. Right. It's, it's just an amazing city, isn't it? Exactly. You can, you can get anything here. I mean, I can remember when you basically could get, in 1980, they had just recently uh, introduced fresh milk, which came from the Dig Daga farm in Russell Kema. Yeah. Um, only six years later, I was working on the strategy for Alain Dairy, you know. Mm. Um, amazing. Build it, they will come. Um, and, and that has worked to an extent. I don't think it's always worked, but um, property thing has been... That's been an issue, of course, mm. and the flipping and whatever that was going on. Some people yeah. benefited from that. Um, others lost their shirts on that. And that's yeah. a shame, I think. It, it got pretty hectic. It did. It's yeah. interesting because I'm working with a company who, um, who supply food and veg and stuff to the local market. And they were saying two years ago, 75% was imported. Now it's 75% locally produced. Yeah. Which is a testimony to what they're doing over here in terms of enabling local farmers, mm. everything they produce, for example, Stone doing a lot of great yep. work there mm. in terms of actually they're not kind of beholden to the. No, yeah. uh, no you, need to, yeah. you need to get the Kibsons guys on because they'll mm. tell you the chapter and yeah. verse on this. And of course, mm. my one of my hobbies is hiking in the mountains of the Northern Emirates. Sorry, too many bloody posts uh, on Facebook. But, you know, over the six months that we've been doing that quite intensively, um, it's just amazing to see the amount of uh, cultivation of land that's yeah. going on farming. And it's some of it is very sophisticated farming. Um, so that, yeah, you're, so you're dead well, right. But it is important. I mean, we've seen this in the last year with when you had a whole fleet of two major airlines being grounded. Mm. Right. Where are we getting our produce? I think yeah. that probably may have been a wake-up call to a few people. It was, I think. Yeah, I, I dare say it was. Mm. Um, and by the way, that's an interesting thing too, you know, the fact that I think it, it's looking like, you know, we'll, the main airlines here, and even the new ones, the new entrants, relatively new entrants, will... It will just come back round again, you yeah, know, yeah, and, and we'll be back. It's, it's um, leaner, leaner, and and then they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll grow out. It'll be a different. It'll be different. It will be different. Yeah, but yeah. that's been interesting. How they've they can manage things mm. really, really, really well. Those guys at, for example, Emirates and exactly. ICD, you know, Investment yeah, Corporation of Dubai. James, oh, this has been for me um, my latest session here with you. Mm-hmm. It's been extraordinary. I, I love talking to John. Well, anyway, and I think that um, he's given me a lot tonight mm. from the point of view of the history. Like I've, I've learned so much exactly. from the point of view, from the stories you've told. Mm. I've been absolutely amazing. Yeah. 
Some of them I just make up, you know. It's all, it's all, they're that. just all apocryphal stories. But that's okay. No one ever checks no. it, so yeah. it's fine. <laughs> no, but for God. me, it's like, like, like James has tried to. I mean, we've got so many different guests on here every yeah. week. Yeah. This is just a um, somebody who's been here since the 1970s and mm. just given us a story around the actually stuff we, we don't know about and we've well, heard about. There's, there's people that have been here four or five years who have no understanding mm. of what it was like mm. 10, 15, 20 years ago. And actually, there's not many photos of it. Generally, yeah. the same photos keep coming up all the time of what Sheikh Zayed rode and different things. There's a video on YouTube of a gentleman driving from Emirates Golf Course to his... Mm. Yeah. It might have been Chicago Beach. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, yeah. no, and well, there's, I mean, I but there's not much of that footage around. Yes, and that's a shame... There yeah. is actually a very good national archive in Abu Dhabi, and it's run by a guy called Justin Codray. Mm. And Justin is the son of Ronald Codray, who was um, um, employed by the British government and was installed in various uh, Middle East countries over his career mm. um, to uh, be the political agent. So, like, he was the political agent. Mm. That's the name for what we now call the ambassador in Qatar. But um, so Justin's father was an amateur photographer and took amazing photographs. And of course, we haven't covered my few years uh, with Ian at Motivate here. We did the Motivate Dubai, uh, Mm. London thing, which was moons ago. Um, But Motivate publishes phenomenal. Uh, books by Ramesh Shukla, Nur Ali Rashid, Ronald Codray, um, which are all mid 20th century photographs of what it was like in Dubai. But you know, just two hours ago, before I met you uh, for that first orange juice that we had, um, I had a call from another ex airline guy whose father was an ex-airline guy called Michael Stokes. And Michael retired maybe four years ago from Emirates, went back to the UK. And he said, John, I've got, I've just found all these photographs taken by my father of Dubai um, from the 50s and 60s and maybe early 70s. What do I do with them? So we were having a nice chat about that. So, so, but, but there is a lack of film. Yeah. Um, terrible lack of film. There, but there's some quirky things as well. Um, there's a lovely Japanese lady who lives here in retirement um, called Kimi Akashima. And Kimi's, um, Kimi used to work for Golf Air as a hostie um, way back. And then she and her late husband, also Japanese, worked here as an advisor about Japan issues right. to the government. Mm. And years ago, Kimi um, discovered these photographs taken by two Japanese photojournalists when they paid a visit to Dubai in 1962. So there is a book in existence called Dubai 1962. And it's just big black and white plates of photographs taken in the ruler's office and of the sheikhs and in the creek by these two Japanese photojournalists visiting Dubai, None of whom could, neither of whom could speak Arabic, English or anything. And they reckon 
Kimmy says that they got away with a lot of their photographs because nobody knew what the hell they were doing or they couldn't communicate. Yeah. So where normally there might be a bit of a barrier. No, you can't quite take a photograph. The photos were taken. Yeah. And I've also got access to an amazing uh, file of photographs which were taken by... At one point, there was a Federal Ministry of Information and um, uh, the grandson... Is a family friend. He's one of those half and halves. He's half British, half local. That's very interesting too. I could, I could have a whole podcast about that. Yeah. Um, amazing. Because they're in two cultures simultaneously. One, exactly. One day it's exactly. a Hawaiian shirt, next day it's a Kandura. Exactly. Um, but Philip, the grandson um, of his late grandfather, brought round to my house one day huge photo albums of photographs of trade missions that were happening in the 19, early 70s where um, a young Sheikh Maktoum and a young Sheikh Mohammed, Sheikh Maktoum, of course, became ruler of Dubai after the death of Sheikh Rashid because he was the eldest son. But he was actually, before that, the prime minister of the UAE. Yeah. Um, anyway. That's still is, yeah. No, he's dead. No, Sheikh Maktoum. So sorry, I'm talking about Sheikh Maktoum. Yeah, yeah right. Prime Minister, sorry. Sorry to be so snarky there, James. <laughs> cut you off from my superior knowledge. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> and while... <laughs> While he remains dead, <laughs> yeah. while he remains dead, but um, and there's all these amazing photographs of Sheikh Mohammed with the what do you call it, the um, entourage of the day. Yeah, yeah. Some of whom are now quite prominent, but getting on in years, guys yeah. who are all in Western business suits and like slacks and smoking <laughs> yeah. jackets at dinners and and hacking jackets at official functions in countries all around the world. And I'm the only person to have seen this stuff. It stayed within the family. They feel that they wouldn't get permission yeah, right. to okay. publish any of it. But yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. No, but well, John, thank you so much for coming Welcome. on today. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having me. And loved you to come back let's I'll get let's you. let's get tell Kimmy about, in i'll tell you about radio days yeah yeah which you haven't covered I'll tell you about my uh, tv let's, tv um good morning britain days we can break it down and tom Urker, who you had on before he was the presenter of a program called good morning britain <laughs> with a girl called Nat natalie carney canadian and then i was in melbourne on business i get a phone call from david marshall who was at the radio before where are you I'm in Melbourne. Damn! Why? Tom has to go on a three-week break. Could you fill in a dep? Yeah. Right? And it was just terrible and (laughs) funny and unbelievable because whereas I could read an autocue, things would happen like guests wouldn't turn up. This was a three-hour live program. And I think Tom's told a similar story but well, yeah, I yeah. can remember one program, Natalie and I, um, and we, you have to do all that stuff like, welcome back to Good Morning Britain. Great to have you with us. Now we're going over to the weather. Turn to plasma. Weatherman Adam Ketchum would come on. By the way, weather was all pre-recorded because they'd given up, as Tom said, on, you know, helicopters and live feeds outside yeah, yeah. broadcast. So pre-recorded weather for it. And then you turn back. Oh, that's great. Good news, Natalie, isn't it? It's only going to be 42 today. What are you going to 
going to be doing later on? And she'd say, anyway, back to the audio cue. Anyway, our first guest today is the owner of a new flower shop in Barsha. Her name is whatever. And then there'd be somebody going, no, no, your piece. She's guest hasn't turned up. Stuck in traffic. Vamp. Which means just extemporise. And then. More weather. So, John, what? Flowers. Yeah. So, what was the last bouquet you bought for your wife? Oh, well, it would. And it would swell on like that. And then not, none of the other guests turned up. But at the end of it, I had this fop sweat. All my. And they used to put on a heavy layer of makeup. Because I've got no real eyebrows, they used to paint on eyebrows. <laughs> and it all. Everything had melted into my shirt collar. We've got to get some footage of that. Oh, but, God. Um, a question on that is, why why didn't it work? Uh, because it had been bought by Moe bin Hendi, Moedin bin Hendi, uh, from a Pakistani entrepreneur. Yeah. It wasn't really motoring. And Moe just had it in his mind, you know, we'll do a proper full-on station. You know, yeah. we'll have studios will have great yeah. people he hired something like 220 people because yeah. of course you need everything from makeup artists yeah. to graphic designers to present the whole nine yards never realizing television is a money pit you know sure. all tv i'm worried right now about gb news in the uk yeah. because you know andrew neil has managed to get 60 million pounds investment Unless he gets advertising PDQ, that will run out in six months. Mm. It'll, be, it'll, it'll be a similar problem. Yeah, they're pulling out, though, aren't they? Some are pulling out because of the content. But, but so, I mean, we had great people. You know, I'm still in touch with my program director, Alison, uh, my producer. It was a lovely Lebanese. Very, and, very, and some of these people had left fantastic jobs to come mm. to City 7 TV. Um, well, okay, well, okay. Use, why can't we use um, Al Jazeera as an example? Mm. That seems to be moving ahead. Yeah, but it's government. It's a yeah. government of, okay. of of Qatar. So that they pour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's because it's status. It's private and a huge loss of face. They, it's okay. like they, it's pushed as being private, but it's not. It's no, a, no, it's no. a government voice piece for Qatar. Okay, um, which is why to this day they still run anti UAE it's not propaganda. He agrees with us. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'll come by and we can do, Let's yeah. do that again. another thing. But thanks, if, you, if, if this works out. I mean, some of this is deportable material, right? For you, by the way, because you're the publisher of the podcast. Not for me. No, no, everything goes on. I'll just hide in the Northern Emirates we don't, we don't, in a we, cave. We don't cut anything, do we? <laughs> yeah. Very, no, but awesome, John. That, that, as I say, for me, this has yeah. been fantastic. No, just thanks, to actually get... Some background and some oh, so so many good stories, and history, history. And yeah, and, and, and as you say, we'll get you back on again, and we'll concentrate on one or two other areas that sure. may be topical at the time. Yeah, yeah. no worries. So, uh, Lovely. Thank you so much for coming on. Welcome. Thanks, John.